Thank you, uh, Kong, for sharing your testimony with us and for uh, jumping in and, and serving in so many different ways to bless to bless our church. This uh, this morning, I want to uh, continue to talk about um, what what child is this? What kind of child is this? And and a, a lot of today revolves around this idea, um, this word mighty, mighty. Uh, you hear this word mighty probably a lot uh, in context in everyday conversation. In some places, like in the South or in Texas, the word mighty is used as an adverb. That's a mighty fine-looking car you've got there. Or you're looking mighty fine today. Right? They use it as, as an adverb. But in the rest of the world, uh, mighty is an adjective right? to describe something that is strong or powerful or full of, uh, full of might, I guess you I can't really use the word in its own definition, but something that's very strong, a lot of times indicated by the size of the thing that you're saying, that's a really mighty thing. And we hear this oftentimes. When I grew up, um, there was a, a, a TV show called Mighty Mouse, about this little tiny mouse who uh, would come and save the day, and usually it would be these like evil cats, and he would like unleash a flurry of uppercuts on their chin, and, and Mighty Mouse, yeah, here I come to save the day. So Mighty Mouse was always a, a mighty thing in, in my mind. Uh, there was uh, the high school that my wife Olivia went to, W.T. Woodson in Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, there was a guy, I forget his name, came out of there, but he was one of the original on the TV show Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Did you know that? A mighty Morphin Power Ranger was at Olivia's school, and he was one of the, the people. The Power Rangers are mighty in their Morphin ability, or whatever they are, they're mighty Power Rangers. There's also uh, a lot of things. There was a movie uh, called The Mighty Ducks about this misfit group of hockey players that were just thrown together, and dumb guy, because he had to do community service, leads them to become this amazing hockey team. And we use this word, mighty, all the time. I remember uh, when I was in high school, McDonald's, McDonald's near my church uh, rolled out this new menu. I don't know if you guys ever ate chicken wings at McDonald's. Anyone had that before? Yeah, they're called Mighty Wings. Do you, you know that? My friend Mike and I were eating at McDonald's, and I got a Big Mac, and he's like, I'm going to check out these Mighty Wings. And so he ate these Mighty Wings. He got a six-piece, whatever it was. And I, I don't know why I remember this. I thought it was hilarious at the time. Just goes to show that humor changes through the years, but he was eating them. I said, how are your wings? And he said, I don't know what's so mighty about these mighty wings. And I thought that was so funny. I thought, funny, Mike, yeah, funny. We use this word mighty in a lot of different ways in our everyday vocabulary, vernacular, in our conversation. And a lot of times, a lot of times what we consider to be mighty isn't really all that mighty after all, is it? A mouse, a duck, <laughs> power rangers, even wings. You know, the, the interesting about my, thing about mighty wings, I, I, I looked it up. I uh, did some Google research yesterday. My friend Mike wasn't the only one who was not impressed with mighty wings. They were rolled out in a select market in different places like Atlanta. And there were 10, okay, 10 million pounds of frozen chicken wings that they somehow needed to discard because nobody wanted to eat these mighty wings. The word mighty can have a lot. It has a very strong meaning. But when we use it in our everyday conversation, it doesn't inspire much confidence in the thing that is being described as mighty. And though maybe as we sing these songs, 
this morning or every morning on Sunday when you come to church. We sing about a God who's mighty, a God who's powerful, a God who's awesome. You might be thinking the same thing that my friend Mike was thinking many years ago. I don't know what's so mighty about this God that we're singing about. Do you feel like that? He's supposed to be all of these things, but I'm not seeing that in my life. Today, I want to talk a little bit about why that might be and how we can understand what it means when we say God is a God who's mighty. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9. We looked at this passage last week. We're going to look at it for the next uh, three weeks following today as well. You remember the context, uh, God is speaking through a prophet Isaiah to the people of God in Israel uh, about 700 years before the coming of Christ. And as he's writing, there's darkness inside of Israel because of the corruption and the spiritual apostasy means they've turned away from God. There's darkness on the outside because nations are rising up to attack from the outside as well. And there's all kinds of trouble in Israel. Terror alert is on red. It's high alert. The moral corruption is high. It's on red alert within. And there's all kinds of things that are happening that's going to cause the judgment of God to come on Israel. But if they repent, then God will relent. But it's their unwillingness to do this that causes the hardship that would come upon and befall the people of God in the years to come. But this is what he says in verse 1. We're going to read uh, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to verse 6 and 7. Nevertheless, Although all that bad stuff is happening, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. In verse 6, here's the reason for the light. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is God's word. The light that's going to shine in the darkness is going to be coming in the form of a baby, Isaiah said. 700 years from now, in this point, 2016 in human history, about 2,000 years ago, this light dawned and it broke into the darkness of our world. Concentrated where a star shone on a stable in Bethlehem where Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, was born. Last week, we saw that this light in the darkness is called Wonderful Counselor. Today, we see that this light is also called Mighty God. So what do we see? What does that mean that he is Mighty God? Three things. The first thing Mighty God means is that you have a God who will fight for you. You have a God who will fight for you. Pardon, I forgot my regular cup, and so I'm using this big old pink cup. You have a God who will fight for you. This understanding, our description of what it means to be mighty. When you hear, again, I've heard about mighty through a mouse and a duck and power rangers and all these things, and none of them are really mighty. So when you hear that a light is breaking into the world's darkness, 
and his name is Mighty God. That might not move your meter very much in terms of inspiring hope and confidence this Christmas season if you're living in a time of darkness. Because we've come to realize, I've come to realize something, the might of something that is described as mighty is limited by what that adjective is attached to. Right? So if you've got a mighty mouse, that might be pretty cool for a mouse. <clears throat> but how mighty can a mouse really be? And so mice think he's mighty, but we don't think he's all that. Chicken wings can be mighty, but really how mighty... Strong, powerful, mighty can a chicken wing really be? We talk about having uh, mighty Morphin Power Rangers or mighty ducks. I used to think, man, that's the most unintimidating hockey team of a. The Anaheim hockey team is called the Mighty Ducks, named after the Mighty Ducks of this movie. And I was like, dude, if I was playing against them, I would not fear them at all. How mighty can a duck be? And so when Isaiah writes, And he says, your light coming into the darkness is going to be called mighty. Maybe it doesn't do a lot for you. But you have to understand, to what is that description mighty being attached to? And here he says, his name, he will be called Mighty God. He's not saying, hey, when he comes, he's going to be called Mighty Baby. Because again, how how mighty can a baby be? Right, that's... You can imagine, that's like child's play, Chucky, like real scary, like beating people up. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying this child born on Christmas is the mighty God. He is your light. He is your hope. He is your strength. And if there is a mighty God that's come into the world, then here's what it means for you. It means that you have a God who will fight for you. Why? Because when you understand what the Hebrew word mighty meant, It's a Hebrew word, and again, if you want to impress your Jewish friends, you could tell them, hey, you know what? I have a God. He is El Gibor. That means mighty God. El Gibor. If you see someone who's really strong and mighty, you could say, that guy is very Gibor. (laughs) It's kind of out of context, but Gibor means mighty, strong. And what it literally means, it means a hero, a champion, a valiant warrior. One who is left standing when everyone else has fallen. One whom no enemy is able to overcome and defeat. That is your mighty God. And he is arising to fight for his people. Do you need a mighty God this Christmas? Do you know people who need a champion who will fight against whom no enemy can overcome? I know a ton of people like that. I know a lot of people like that. I know I need a mighty God in my life. I need someone who's going to champion my cause, who's going to fight for me in the places where I struggle, in the places where I doubt, in the places where I fear, in people that I love who are sick, in people that I love who are going through times of darkness. I need a God who's going to rise up and fight. This is our mighty God. This is our El Gibor. If mighty God has come into the world, here's what it's saying, that God has come to fight on behalf of his people. Do you need a God like that? Do you need a warrior like Do you need a champion? Do you need a hero like that who will come and fight your battles for you? Because all throughout the history of God's people, he showed himself to be El Gibor, a mighty God. 
He fought for his people when they were enslaved to the most powerful nation in the world. And they cried out for help. God rose up and he fought for them, sending plagues against the nation of Egypt. God fought for his people. When they were being pursued by this Egyptian army and they were angry and they were raging and they were fighting and they were storming and they were running away from them. And they got as far as the Red Sea and they realized that the same thing that's chasing them is what's keeping them from getting into the promised land. A storming, raging, fighting, angry sea. At that point, what do they do? They call out to El Gibor and the mighty God comes and he fights for them. There's nowhere on earth that God will not go in order to fight for his people. He fought on a battlefield against a nine-foot giant. He fought on the high seas when the people of God were in the time of, a, of an unexpected storm and they thought everything was going to fall apart. There's nowhere that God will not go to fight for his people because he is the champion and the hero that our world desperately needs. He's a hero that our nation needs. He's the hero that the nations need. He's a hero that your family and that you need. He's a hero that every difficult situation in the world is crying out for. He is El Gibor, and he says, I'm your mighty God. I'm not mighty in the way you describe wings or you describe ducks or you describe power rangers. I'm a mighty God. And so when those people were holding this baby, if you were there in that scene in Bethlehem and you were somehow you were privy to be around the manger and Jesus was born. If you're ever anywhere where a baby is born and they say, hey, hey, uh, you want to take a picture with it? You want to hold this baby. Listen, if you were to hold that baby, if you were to hold that baby, you would be holding in your hands God. That like blows me as we're singing, uh, oh, come, let us adore him. I thought about that. Like in, in the manger is God. If I, if I knew that this baby, not just like he's not just royalty, but this is God incarnate then yeah, every part of me would say, oh, come, let us adore him. I would not want to leave that place. If we knew that we were coming into the presence of God in the form of a baby, and what Isaiah is saying 700 years earlier is that this baby is not just a baby. This is your mighty God. And he came because God could not stand to be apart from the people that he loves. And if you have a mighty God in your life this Christmas, it means that he is going to fight for you. Lord knows we need a fighter like that in our lives who will fight against the illness in our lives, who will fight against the depression in our lives, who will fight against the marital strife in our lives, who will fight against the sense of hopelessness in our lives, who will fight against the addiction to lust in our lives, who will fight against the greed and the character issues in, in our lives, who will rise up and fight against all of these things that rise up to fight against us. We have a mighty God who fights for us. There's a, a movie, that a French movie, 1988, came out. It's almost like in the form of a documentary. It's called The, the Bear, and I've, I've, I've mentioned this many, many years ago, but it's such a, a great little movie. It's filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it, it basically trails this little cub, very cute little cub whose mother has died. And so the cub is orphaned. Oh, there he is. There he is splashing around having fun. So the cub is orphaned. And you know as you watch this movie 
the cub doesn't have a chance because everything, he's so young and everything was dependent completely upon his mother. And so how is he going to get food? He doesn't know. Where is he going to get, where is he going to get shelter? How is he going to find shelter in a safe place? He doesn't know. None of us know where it's going to come. On the other side of a mountain is this great big grizzly bear. Rah, very strong, very powerful, almost mighty, if you will. But that bear was being hunted, and he was hurt badly, and he was licking his wounds. There comes a point in the movie where these two meet, and the cub is, oh, maybe you can adopt me. Maybe you can be my Papa bear, maybe you can love me. But the big bear is like, don't go away. Don't bother me. I don't want anything to do with you. So this is where the analogy of God in us breaks down. But it says, I don't want any part of you. And then the, the cub, seeing that the bear has been gashed, begins licking its wounds to try and take care of the bear, the big bear. And so this unlikely relationship begins to form where for all intents and purposes, Papa Bear adopts that little cub into his own life and he teaches him, here's how you catch fish and eat it. And so the little cub does everything that it does. Here's what you do when you're afraid. Here's what you do when your back is itchy. You scratch it against a big tree. And so the the, the baby cub bear starts doing everything that daddy does. But towards the end of the movie, this climactic, almost, almost climactic moment where there's been a group of hunters chasing the big grizzly, and there's been a cougar chasing the cub. But as soon as they get together, the people scatter. At least the, the cougar runs away and says, I don't want to mess with that big bear. And so in this time, hunters have gotten a pack of dogs, hunting dogs, and they're chasing after the grizzly. And so in this frenzy, Papa Bear and Baby Bear get split up. And so you're looking at the time. The movie is almost over. And so you know that, okay, this is it. It's a sad farewell. The grizzly is being chased. The cub gets caught. He gets tortured. Finally, he gets released. Again, back to his orphan ways. But he's learned a little something through the years or through the months or through the time being with his papa bear. And as soon as they get released, the bear, as you can see, is splashing around. And at the end of the movie, the cougar comes back. And so this is what happens. Let's watch this. Three minutes. Stop at 3.30, please.
a happy ending, right? Very cool. Um, you realize how massive that bear is compared to the cub, right, when he gets back. But I think, you know, that's a picture of our helpless condition. Right? Sometimes we feel like there's no way, but there's a God who we might thought has forgotten about us or that we've run so far away that he doesn't see. But in those moments, you have a God. You have a God who's so much bigger, who will fight for you. It's the first thing that we see when we talk about the mighty God. Second thing we see is that mighty God means that no situation is hopeless. It means that no situation is hopeless. I know um, <clears throat> a lot of us here, we live in Orlando, and so uh, if you're you know, a remotely into basketball, you might be a fan of the Orlando Magic, which is kind of like not the best thing to be because it causes a lot of heartache and, and pain. Uh, we can be called the cardiac club because the, the, the Magic make our heart break and heart race and all of these things so many times. But one of the things about the Magic is the reason why they're uh, so difficult to, to watch is because there are some nights, not many, but there's some nights where they like beat a team they have no business beating. Like the San Antonio Spurs, they beat them. I think they beat them in San Antonio. Like, what in the world? Maybe the Magic are actually good. And then they go on this streak where they lose against all of these, like, awful teams and and teams that they should be beating and teams that, you know, it's like, what in the world? But the most, the hardest thing for me as a Magic fan is I can never be comfortable in the fourth quarter of a game. Because even if the Magic are winning, it's almost like there's this gloomy sense in the back of my mind that they're going to do whatever they can to lose. Okay? <laughs> they, they're going to find a way to blow it. They're going to find, hopefully this doesn't happen on Friday when a bunch of y'all go. Maybe you can pray to God to help them. But I feel like, man, whatever happens is like if it's within like 10 points with a minute left, they're going to find a way to lose. And it's a very depressing way to live. Your fingernails get bitten down to the very you know, nubs of your fingers, and it just seems like there's no hope. And I wonder sometimes, what would it be like to be on the opposite side? And I think the Chicago Bulls of the 1990s were like that. The Bulls of the 1990s realized that no matter what's happening in the game, no matter how far we're down or how much we're losing, as long as we've got Michael Jordan out there, as long as we've got Michael Jordan, there's always a chance. There's always a chance. He was the ultimate of champions, the champion of champions. When all the other contenders showed themselves to be pretenders, he was the last one standing, probably the greatest champion in the history of the NBA. And if you've never seen him, then you can't compare him to any of the people who are playing today. He was just in a class by himself. And I think the the great thing about being a Bulls fan in those days was that you knew that no situation was, no game was ever hopeless. As long as Michael Jordan was out there, the odds are in our favor. As long as he's not injured or he's not in a different state, as long as he's there, we've got a chance. Because the champion is on our side. And I think that's what, That's part of what Isaiah is trying to communicate to his people. Like, listen, Israel, we've been smashed on many occasions. But our mighty God is coming. He's coming. And as long as he is with you, as long as he is with us, no situation is ever hopeless. 
You got to understand this. There was one man, a, a prophet named Elijah, on the mountain of Carmel against 850 prophets of Baal, but he wasn't afraid. He wasn't trembling. In fact, he was talking smack to all these other prophets. He's like, my God's going to show up. He said, you call on your God. And from morning until night, they called on their gods. They beat themselves. And Isaiah started talking smack. He's like, maybe, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's deaf. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. That's literally what Elijah's saying. He's talking smack to these 850 people who are going to take his threat in his life. But here's what he said. He reasoned that one person against 850, the odds are stacked against me, but one person with God all of a sudden becomes a majority. One person with God becomes a majority and the odds are tipped in your favor. Whatever your situation would be, God is saying, bring me into your side. Bring me into your side. No situation is hopeless. And you think, but I've tried. How I, remember talking with, I remember talking with a brother. Uh, one night we were talking and he said, you know what? Uh, I want to give up. I want to give up on God. I said, why? Like my family situation is just, it's, it's awful. It's terrible. That where do you see God in all this? I don't see him at all. That have have you prayed about it? I said, I, I prayed. But how long have you been praying for? I said, I prayed a couple nights. I said, listen, you got to keep on praying. You got to keep on praying. If God promised that no situation, you understand how much like people in the Bible have to wait in order for what God promised. To be given, we're so like so fickle that if it doesn't happen after one or two nights of praying, we're like, dude, God has left the building. He doesn't care about me anymore. After like a week of praying or a month of praying or even a year of praying, and there's some people. It, Abraham waited decades for the fulfillment of the promise. Israel waited from the time Isaiah prophesied to the time the fulfillment of this child came. Seven hundred years. And we want things so instantly. We want things tomorrow. We want things yesterday when God's saying, listen, I'm, the reason you keep on praying is because I want you to, I want, I want to see how much you want it for one. I want to see how much you're trusting me and not that thing. I want to see if you're able to endure. And I want to change your heart because as you pray, your heart is changing and your faith is growing. There's a lot of reasons why God calls us to wait. But a lot of times we're not getting the help of our mighty God, our champion, our warrior, our valiant hero, because we give up too soon. Because we're not willing to wait for what we're asking for. And as we wait, sometimes God changes our desires. But if we can understand that God is a mighty God and that he's your champion and he's your hero and he's your warrior and he's willing to fight for you, you understand that no situation is hopeless, no matter how much the deck might be stacked against you. This week, past week, uh, our, our little daughter, uh, Elise, something very sad happened to her. I'm not going to go into all the details of what happened, but she was in the parking lot of the YMCA in our minivan. Somehow, with the engine running, the doors got locked. And she couldn't get out, and we couldn't get in. I wasn't there, um, but uh, Olivia called me, and she's like, hey, uh, Elise is trapped inside the car. It's actually not very funny. Like, 
like the whimpering cub is not very funny, but you guys thought it was funny. So I, I, it wasn't very funny, but uh, I was only five minutes away. I didn't have a key or anything. I just went for moral support. So I went over there. Um, I said, hey, you know, I don't know why that's funny either. <laughs> Come on. Okay, so, uh, so I got there, and all is like, uh, you know, with the workers from the YMCA. And as soon as I get there, the fire engine, firemen come and they come out and they start doing their thing. I said, how's Elise doing? She's okay. She's all right. And so three YMCA workers, three fire people, Olive and me are there. And, and I'm trying to, to peer in, but because of the, the, the glare and because of the tent, I can't really see what's going on. And so I asked the guy at the Y, I was like, uh, how's she doing? Is she, is she okay? Is she crying is she you know what's going on i'm expecting that she'll be crying she'll be screaming but he said no she looks perfectly fine completely at peace i was like thank goodness i thought to myself you know elise has been in situations like this before not trapped in a car but she's been in emergency situations before and as long as olive is there she's completely cool i said is she she's just looking at her mommy and he's like no she's not looking at mom all of a sudden, I thought to myself, hey, maybe it's me. <laughs> this is, maybe I can, I can earn my lucky star here. I said, hey, uh, I thought to myself, you know, as, as long as I've been there, Elise has been pretty calm. She's been cool. We've been chilling. I'm about to win my daddy star today. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is really good. Elise loves me. And just the presence of, of daddy makes everything different for her. And I said, what is she doing? Is she looking at someone? And so I'm trying to like fish. And he said, yeah, she's just staring. She's just staring at, so I'm thinking to myself, say it. (laughs) She's staring at her, she's staring at you. She's staring at, you must be her dad. She's staring at you, right? I say, yeah, you know, she, you know, in times of distress, she she wants her daddy. I'm thinking that. She's staring at the fireman. I was like, what? (laughs) Like, what? What do you mean she's staring at the fireman? Like she's just fascinated by what they're doing as they come to, you know, they're, they're doing all, they put a wedge in there and they blew it up with air so that the door would creak open. And then she's just looking at them, smiling, having a good old time. And I began to realize, you know what? Mom and dad are pretty worthless at that time. Maybe we really are there just for moral support. But she knew that there are people who came to be her rescuer, to be her hero, to be her champion. And because they were there, And she knew that they were there. That situation was no longer hopeless. She could be at complete rest and be at complete peace. Are you worried, anxious, fretting, concerned, blood pressure rising because of something in your life? You know that you have a mighty God who comes to fight for you. He's not standing off just watching, but he's there in the fray open the door to get you out of that situation. Second thing that mighty God means is that no situation is hopeless. The last thing that we see here is that mighty God means that God has come gift wrapped in a baby. Crazy. God has come to you gift wrapped in a baby. My, uh, my, my boy, Elijah, I think like most kids, uh, most boys, um, he thinks that whatever I am, I am the superlative of that thing. So if he, you know, he, he thinks daddy's tall. He says to me sometimes, daddy, I'm tall, right? Say, yeah, Elijah, you're real tall. He's like, but not as tall as you. And he always says that to, to show that daddy's a tall as Yeah, not as tall as me. Say, one day, maybe I'll be as tall as you. 
I said, yeah, Elijah, keep drinking your milk, keep eating your vitamins just like your daddy, and you'll grow as tall as, as daddy will one day. He said, okay. And then we go to school, and there's this guy, uh, Liam's dad. He's like 6'3". So I'm walking with Elijah. I said, wow, Elijah, Liam's dad is really tall. And Elijah says, but not as tall as daddy, right? I said, no, no, Liam's dad is really tall. I think he's actually taller than daddy. And Elijah like, gets all disappointed. He's like, no, he can't be taller than daddy. <laughs> Whether it's being tall, but sometimes strong too. He thinks daddy is strong because I'm stronger than Manny. When Manny can't help him, he'll go to me. And I'm definitely stronger than Manny. I can beat her. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm stronger than Daddy's pretty strong. And so he says, Dad, daddy, he's trying to open like a Play-Doh thing. And he says, daddy, can you? I, I can't open this. Can you open it? So I open it up. And he's like, wow, daddy, you're really strong. I give it to him. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, Elijah thought I'm strong because I can open a Play-Doh top. The other time, he asked me to do something that I couldn't quite do. It wasn't a feat requiring that much strength, but he thought it did. And it was like, I forget what exactly it was. I said, Elijah, Daddy can't do this. And immediately his mind went to, but Jesus can, right? <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, Jesus can do it. And he said, because he created everything, right? I said, yeah, you know, I guess that's kind of why he can do anything. If he can speak the world into being, and I went on this, like, theological, you know, explanation. <laughs> but, yeah, Jesus can do everything. In Elijah's mind, here's what he thinks. Daddy is the strongest human being on earth. But Jesus in heaven is stronger than daddy, but just a little bit stronger. Just a little bit. I think a lot of times that's what we think, too. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm smart enough to get a B on my exam. But Jesus is smart enough to get me an A on my exam. So I'll pray to him. But he's not big enough, to, strong enough to handle some of the real stuff that I'm dealing with. He can't do that. Yeah, you know what? Jesus can help me maybe get a, a, an extra $100, but he's not able, big enough to really handle all of my business. Yeah, you know what? He's, he's big enough to change that person who's right on the brink of being changed, but he's not. Uh, he can't. That atheist who just got all those tattoos and piercings, he's not able to, I'll work on this one first. And maybe when they start getting a little bit closer, then I'll start praying. But what Jesus is saying, what Isaiah is saying, rather. No, no, no. What you have in this Christmas child is, again, not just a baby, but this is God. God has come to our world so that nothing is hopeless. And so the gospel of John begins by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God in a manger. And if you could hold that baby, you're holding in your hands God. Unbelievable. God came to us, gift wrapped to you on Christmas, saying, will you open this gift? Here's your champion. Now, and I know I, I always hesitate to talk about sports because I love it, and that's my heart language. But it's not for some of you. I'm trying to make this as simple as possible. The NBA, which is the Professional Basketball, National Basketball Association, they choose teams the same way that we do if we're playing in a park. You get all the team captains together, say, I want this guy, I want this guy, I want this guy. It's, it's simple. That's the way it is. And the way you do it year in, year out in the NBA is that the worst team gets the first pick. And so 1984, okay, 1984 was a huge year, great year, amazing year. The first pick was a team from Houston, and they chose a Nigerian, tall, seven-foot-one man named Akeem Olajuwon. Great pick, Hall of Famer, amazing, great basketball player. 
The second pick came to the Portland Trailblazers. And the Portland Trailblazers had two options. They could either pick a seven-foot-one center from Kentucky named Sam Bowie, decent guy, or a six-foot-six-inch skinny shooting guard out of North Carolina named Michael Jordan. They thought to themselves, wow, Bowie, Jordan, which one should we take? And they said, because we've got a guy named John Paxson and another guy named Clyde Drexler we drafted last year, we don't need Michael Jordan. And so they chose Sam Bowie, who, because of injuries, never played a full season in his life, fizzled out, his career ended. And so Michael Jordan gift-wrapped to the Chicago Bulls, the greatest champion that the world has known, fell to them. And here's the tragedy, the almost tragedy, revisionist history. They said we were so close to not taking Michael Jordan because we really wanted a tall person. We wanted... we tried to shop him. We tried to trade this pick to so many, but nobody wanted him. Wanted the picks. At the end of the day, we just had to take Michael Jordan. And the rest is history. The great tragedy is that the Portland Trailblazers had the greatest champion gift-wrapped and dropped into their laps. And because they said, we don't need him, they rejected him. And the future of their franchise has forever been marked by that rejection of that gift. This Christmas, that first Christmas, God gift-wrapped the champion, the mighty warrior, the valiant warrior, the hero, the last one standing, and he dropped it into the lap of every human being. And he said, Here's your champion. Will you open that gift or not? Because the most amazing thing about this, it says in verse 6, for to us, a child is born. To every single one of us, every single one of us, a child has been given. The question is, what are you going to do with that gift? Are you going to say, I don't need it? Because that's what many people throughout history have done. But if you open up that gift, God promises, I will be a God for you. In my weakness, his power is made perfect because his grace is sufficient for me. His power will be at work in you. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. It is God who is working through you. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Would you want a God like that? Would you want a champion fighting in you, with you, for you? Would you want that? How tragic would it be if that champion, that warrior, that unshakable, unstoppable hero was fighting against you? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because the reason why Jesus was born was so that all of the wrath of that champion would be placed not upon us, but upon that baby. So 33 years after he was born on Christmas, Good Friday came around. And this God, this mighty warrior, 
was nailed to a cross in order that the wrath of God would be satisfied. But there's no place that our hero would not go to fight for you. The cross, that place of death, that place that seemed like defeat, became the place where God showed up most powerfully to fight for his people. That's where our victory was won. That's where life is given. This Christmas, God says, I've, been, I've given you a gift. Maybe you've accepted Jesus into your life. That's cool. That's great. That's the most important decision you'll ever have to make. But he says, are you appropriating the warrior and his might in your life? Do you need that in your life? Open up the gift of Christmas. And you've got people in your life who've never yet opened up that gift. The greatest gift that you could ever give. Greatest gift you could ever give. Bring them to Jesus. Invite them to encounter the champion. Let's pray together. Where do you need, where do you need a mighty warrior in your life? Where do you need a mighty warrior to fight for you? Can we pray? Let's invite our God into our hopeless situations. You think sometimes that it's your (coughs) roaring and growling that's making the cougars flee. It's not. Behind you stands a God in whose presence the enemies cannot stand. You think you've made it all this far because of your own ingenuity, because of your wisdom, your hard work, your work ethic. There's been part of that. But you've had a warrior who's been fighting for you, and now he wants your heart. He's coming for us. He came for you. He came for me. He says, stop running away. Run to me. Put your trust in me. Put your faith in me. Surrender to me. I will fight for you in ways that you never could. Come and put your hope in me. Let's pray together for ourselves or if there's people in your life that the Lord is placing in your heart right now. And these guys really need a mighty warrior. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for them that they would come on Christmas Sunday, that they would find hope in Christ. Their hearts would be open. Their hearts would be hungry. Their hearts would be longing. Let's spend a few moments right now praying for yourself or praying for other people who need a mighty warrior in their lives, a mighty God in their lives. Let's pray. Spend a few minutes in personal prayer as well as in prayers of intercession. Let's pray together for a couple moments and then uh, I'll pray on our behalf and we'll continue to respond to the word of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we lift up all those who feel alone in the fight. All those who feel like they're in the throes of a hopeless situation. All those who feel like there's nowhere for them to turn.
all those who feel like everyone has abandoned them, all those who feel like all the ones who thought were going to be true have proven to be false. We lift up all these people and we pray that mighty God, you would come and you would be the champion, the last one standing, that you would fight for your people, that you would fight their battles, that you would be our hero, that you would be the one with arms held high, holding our arms up with you to say, I will fight for your joy. I will fight for your peace. I will fight for your love. I will fight for your heart. I will fight for your health. Father in heaven, would you come? enter into all of the broken pieces, places, situations of our lives. And would you champion for us? We need you, Lord. Our people, our families, our individual lives, our church, our nation, our world. Come, mighty God, we need you. As you came that first Christmas, would you visit us again today? And would you stay with us as we continue to invite you into the mangers of our hearts. We thank you. We need you. We love you because you've loved us first. We come to you in drawing near because you drew near to us. In Jesus' name we pray.